Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome back again, guys. This is part two that I promised you guys with uh, my pastor, Johnny Hilton, and my dad's here today. Hope you guys enjoyed that last one. And like I said, if you can, give us a rating review on Spotify and uh, Apple Podcasts. You guys are so good about that. I appreciate that, but it's kind of went cold and quiet. We have moved way up in the rankings. I would really like to get in the top 20. I think that's totally possible, but it really honestly depends on you guys and ratings and reviews and and you'd spread the word about this podcast so anyways uh we're gonna add on what i want to jump in last one we had talked about african lion hunting and marco polo sheep and doll sheep and all the different uh rocky mountain sheep we also uh talked about the shooting your shooting and stuff like that but let's go into pheasant hunting and what it used to be like around here, you you are, if anybody didn't listen to part one, you really got to go back and listen to that one. It was a really good episode. But um, you had talked, we kind of, when you came in the day before we started the episode, you had started talking a little bit about how many pheasants we used to have around here and how it, it really got ruined. Let's go back to when, did you hunt a lot of pheasants when you were young? A lot. A lot. That Was, was that one of your favorite things to do or what you like here the, best? the valley it did yeah okay and was it was it because there was a lot of public land back in the day now let's say what year would that be when you were sh- shooting a lot of pheasants and really hunting them hard so you're 88 uh-huh right now what what how old do you think you were when you were doing that probably in my 50s oh I, really when i got going on it yeah really so let's just yeah, say the mariposa until i was well, I came down here and started working with my dad and my granddad in a plastering business when I was 17. And I got married and 
became a, a resident on my own with my, my wife and I, Juanita and I, here in Merced, and I lived, I've lived here ever since. And when we got married, I was 60-some years ago, mm. 69 years ago. In fact, when she passed away, we had been married 69 years, one month, and two days. Wow. That's an, and that's unheard of. And that's exact. It was almost exactly like my mom and dad. Sixteen, huh? sixty-nine. They were too. Yeah, they were. Uh, they were uh, February twenty-third, I think, and she passed away in March. Into uh, Mount March, and he passed away in April. Wow! But it was sixty-nine years, and I remember talking to my mom and uh, bef- right before they had their sixty-nine wedding anniversary, and she was kind of laid up by then pretty bad and she she goes i don't know if i'll make it to my 69 years of course i'm like oh yeah you'll make 69 years no problem Mm. but it was like they'd been married 69 years and a month or so kind of like your yeah do you want to move yours a little bit closer yeah kind of like you too there we go so yeah yeah. that's that's impressive i mean those are 69 wonderful years of my life yeah yeah she passed away on what day uh, she passed away on January eleventh, I think, of two thousand twenty. Mm-hmm. And how how old was she? She was eighty seven. She would have been eighty eight in August. She's eighty seven when she passed away. So, and she so she was a couple years older than you, than me. Yeah, no, she's four months and seventeen days older than me. Okay, four months. Yeah, Sarah's almost two years older than me, actually. Well, Juanita was born August 11th, 1933, and I was born December 28th, 1933. So I did the math. We're, we're 2022 right now, and you said you started in your, somewhere around in your 50s for the pheasants. Probably. I did the math on that. That would put you around 33 years ago would be 1989. Does that sound kind of right? Probably. Somewhere in the 80s, late uh-huh. 80s. What was... And that's, I mean, in my mind, that isn't even that long ago, right? Because obviously I'm older now. I'm 38 years old. But it's like, I was born in 84. I'm like, it was that good at that age, that time? I might have even started. You know, I haven't thought of that. I might have been like 22 or 3 when I first started hunting pheasants. There's a fellow by the name of Curtis Foster, and he had a a German short-haired dog, and it would set point those pheasants one after the other. Mm-hmm. Didn't know what it was going to be a hen or a rooster, and you couldn't shoot hens then. Uh, but if it came up a rooster, you could. And shooting a, I'd shot so many quail that shooting a pheasant was almost like shooting something Cheating. sitting. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know how many pheasants I've killed, but I've killed lots of pheasants in my years of hunting pheasants. In fact, I had two pheasants. I don't even know where they are now. I think they got some way out of my reach and they got sold and i don't even know who sold but they're two fighting roosters and i i had them fighting and those pictures were actually in a a, a store downtown for a while a clothing store in the, oh, in really? the bayview window and then got the back and they were my sister daughter jesse's house and i don't know how they got out of there she moved but anyway they ended up in a barber shop and i do this mine but i didn't say anything because i don't know how they got there and then the barbershop closed, and he sold those and to somebody, and I don't know where they went. Fighting roosters, but you're talking about pheasants. 
Yeah, Brewster Fest. Two male I remember Brewster that pose. Fighting, huh? There's, you, that's some of my favorite poses when they, they're going, yeah. you know, claw to claw. Feet to claw, yeah. feet to feet, uh-huh. You've probably seen mine. I do. I remember him. And actually, there's a guy that does almost all his pheasant mounts are all fighting roosters. He, I don't know why. That's just like his specialty. He's well known for it. Who, who is it? I'm going to look him up. What were you asking him? Is I'll he tell a local you. guy? No. Uh-uh. So this is 2022. And uh, we moved from the house that we lived out in the country, which had 10 acres. And there was a lot of farm ground around there in uh, 2019. But when we when I bought that property, it was bare, and we I built a twelve hundred square foot house and then a forty three hundred square foot house. But I don't know if you remember because it's been a while. But anyway, do you remember all those roosters crowing? Oh we yeah, had, there was tons had, of them out there. We had roosters running through yeah. uh, our our pasture. I yeah. I had roosters that would land on our. I had a vinyl uh, uh, two by six vinyl fence. Uh-huh. Uh, the rails they landed on there before, yeah. and then it was, and we're right beside a creek on a private road. Yeah, artistic compositions. Th- those are in the air. I gotta look at his name, but he all his poses are all kind of like that. They're fighting, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm there. I mean, but that's, they were everywhere, and, they and that cr- wasn't even that long ago. No, I mean that wasn't. That many How many years ago, ago now was that? Well, okay. I mean, we moved there in '99, so you know, man, it, it, we were there for till for 20 years. So. But the last, I would say, 10 years, maybe, yeah. there wasn't nothing. You never hear them crowing. You never see them. So let, let's just, for the sake of, it's more, the longer ago is more interesting to me, and I'm sure the listeners too anyway. So let's go back to when you were in your 20s. Let's just say mid-20s. You were born in 30... Three. 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 So let's say that's 58. Yeah. If you were 25, so 1958, what was it like then? That's nothing? Yeah. Oh, you had no trouble at all finding that they, they were everywhere. They were just any amount of ground at all that had cover on had pheasants in. I used to go out of the San Joaquin River with my dog, and I, she's flushing pheasants out of that river, trees all the time. And I don't know. Of course, two is the limit. Mm-hmm. And it was simple to get your limit of pheasants. And once you got two, you had to come home. <clears throat> so next day, you get two more. But I didn't do that. But every time I went, I probably got my limit of pheasants. I'm sure it didn't take you long at all. No. So you uh, did have your own dog for that? I, I I went elk hunting in, in Idaho, and there was a fellow that had a German short-haired dog. No. He's a liver-colored dog, whatever he was. But he's a pointer. Mm. And a game warden caught him chasing deer. And he told the guy, that it was a minister, pastor of a church, he said, if you don't, tie the dog up or get him out of here so I catch him chasing deer I'll have to shoot him and so I was up there elk hunting and that dog was a kind of a hard dog to get acquainted with but he took up with me just like a uh, duck to water and uh, before I left he asked me if I'd like to have the dog I said yeah and so I took that dog and brought him all the way from Idaho sitting right beside me in my pickup on the front seat and I got him down here and he had, he had flushed so many grouse up there in that Idaho country hmm. that pheasant was just another grouse to him. And he was an unbelievable bird dog. He set so many pheasants. In fact, if they jumped, if he got close to them, they jumped, sometimes he'd catch them before they, before they got out of his reach. Uh-huh. He'd make a leap and grab them. And I saw him get so close to him, and they'd get in such a clump of grass, 
he'd jump and put his feet on them, hold them down. They'd just be flopping on everything and he'd hold really? them tight. And I'd go up and get them. <laughs> but anyway, uh, he he's, he pointed so many pheasants. But he would he would normally he would wait for you and point. And yeah, stay well, there until he'd he'd point them. He'd 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 get out there sometime too far ahead. But when he point them, then I could walk up and catch yep. up to him. And when they flushed, I'd shoot them. Mm. And so many people borrowed him because he was such a pheasant dog. He he was being used by other people all the time. Oh really? People knew. What him. was his name? The, who the dog? Dog. Uh, Duke. Duke. <laughs> Old Duke. I got a question then. So these pheasants, they were natural. They weren't planted, were they? No, they were natural. Uh, they were raised. They raised themselves. Because later on, I think they started planting them for a while, right? They, they, on clubs, they did. Mm. They, they plant them on clubs. They still do. They raise them mm. commercially and put them on clubs. But these these pheasants I was hunting was on river bottoms. And were those, okay, so growing up in Oregon, you know, I had a black lab, and we, we pheasant hunted a lot there. But there was some of the variety of pheasants that would run, and some that seemed like the variety. Well, these would will s- run if they can. If they get in a cotton patch, they'll run down a cotton row. But if they're out in like a pasture where there's a clump of grass and nothing, they fly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because some would sit and some would run. I noticed. What that. were you hunting in when they ran? Cotton oh, patches. Oh, it's been too long. I can't remember. The cotton row. They'll usually run. <laughs> I just thought. I wondered if it was a different. If it was a different breed or no, something. No, they're all they all the ringnecks. Yeah. Uh, what they, they can do, run when they hunt when they hunted cotton rows. They'd get guys down at the end, and they'd get guys the other end, and they'd run. And when they got close to those guys at the other end, they all fly. And then those other guys would mm. shoot their pheasants. Uh-huh. So what about corn? Like hunting chopped corn? Is that something you guys did Same a lot way, too? Same way. Yeah. Yeah. I never did hunt much corn, but I've seen it. I have, but not much. We hunted a little bit at that one club mm-hmm. that back in the day. That was actually a pretty neat place to go. Mm-hmm. They actually seemed semi-wild versus, like, there's some places now up north I went to, and I was just like, man, it's I you got to plan them yourself. It's just not even. I wonder what those birds are going for now. I, how many years ago was that? Cause oh, and they were 25. Weren't they 25 for you? 25, 25 or 30. Back to, yeah, they're still pretty close, actually, that. Because we went a couple of years ago, and that's mm-hmm. what they were charging us. But it's just not it's just not interesting to me. I'd rather if you're natural and wild, I mean. I'd like to go get another couple real nice rooster pheasants to have them out. Where would you go to do that? I don't know. Montana, Wyoming, have them. But probably the best place to go be like South Dakota. Mm. They're more that they, they that's the kind of pheasant hunting capital of America, South Dakota. Mm. So what do you think really What's your opinion? Why did those pheasants just all of a sudden disappear? Well, in California, they had so much problem with insects, bugs, that they made people, when they picked the cotton, they had to plow it under real quick. Mm. When they had mile of maize, they had to, as soon as they harvested, they had to plow it under. Well, those birds lived in that, and they ate the seeds that fell on the ground, the mile of maize, and, and the cotton patches were covered, and they just destroyed their habitat so much. And then... Back when I was a young guy, the gosh hawk was considered a predator. The horned owl was considered a predator. The cooper hawk, sharp-shinned hawk, those were all hawks that could be shot because mm-hmm. they, were, they were hard on the quail population, pheasant population, all. Well, all of a sudden, all those birds become protected, so a bird like a pheasant didn't have a chance. Mm-hmm. And then with the farmers plowing all the stuff under, they didn't have a place to hide. And you take an old female pheasant that maybe hatch out 15 little ones. 
to a sharp-tinned hawk, those little pheasants are easy pickings for them. They just destroyed them. Mm. They just so part of predators and farming practices. Back when I was a kid, <clears throat> up in the mountains, there's coyotes hung all over fence posts because the state lion hunter or state trapper would catch coyotes and he took the ears off and hang them on fence posts. And the bobcats the same. I've seen time where there's fifteen or twenty bobcats and coyotes hung on a row of <laughs> fence posts. Then came down here. There's hawks hanging on wires where people had shot the hawk and just stuck them on a wire. And I don't know why they did that, but they did. Now you don't see that anymore because they're all fully protected. What year was that probably? Guessing. In the 40s and 50s. Really? Mm -hmm. Man. (laughs) And what's insane is these people are more and more educated, but yet the stuff is declining constantly. So it's like, who is really smart? I, it's bottom line. It comes down to money. It has to, because I don't see other reason when you're deplete. Like I don't know, it was you or you that said before we started this? This uh, you guys started this episode. We were talking about how 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 is it worse now than it was before if we pre- have all these protecting forces on all these these animals? Like we're protecting this, we're protecting that, but then the other ones are completely. Like you said, there is basically no wild pheasants. I mean, I'm sure there's a few out there, a couple, a handful, but there's like nothing anymore. Nothing. And the deer population is depleting in our, depleting in our mountains. See, back when I was a kid, there was a guy by the name of J.C. Bruce was a paid full, paid state lion hunter to kill lions. And I think it was 769 lions he killed in his lifetime. And he, he was born and raised in Wawona area. And he hunted, but he hunted all over California for the state of California. Well, that kept the lion population down to uh, uh, a livable number with the deer population. And so you had a lot of deer. As soon as they took the, the uh, predator off, lion off the predator list and made him fully protected, then the state lion hunter was gone. All bobcat hunting is gone. Few people calling coyotes for fun, but it didn't like it was when they had state trappers doing it. And... Uh, so really, honestly, the deer populations, especially when the government, state, Yosemite Park, issued that proclamation that we're destroying the habitat of the park, and they killed, I think it was 1,400 deer was killed in Wawona. Are you serious? And most of them uh, rotted. didn't know that. And uh, the deer never caught back up again. It never caught up. It's always because they got the deer population now. The lion population is big. And I had a, a game warden tell me he was the Captain Baines was his name, and he was the head of hunter safety instructors. And I was a hunter safety instructor for several years, and gave gave hunter classes. Yeah, you did mine, huh? You did mine. Did I? Mm-hmm. And okay. mine. When I was nine. Well, let me tell you a little story. You know Gallo Winery? Yeah. Mike Gallo. You know who he is? Uh-huh. Okay. I went out to look at his trophy room here a while back, and I gave him and his boy, maybe his girl even, at class. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> so what he did, <clears throat> he came through and saw stuff I'd got. He never was a hunter. He said, you're the one who's responsible. He has trophy deer that are, knock your eyeballs out. Really? And he's killed. Of course, he paid big price for them. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we went to look at all of his trophy room. And uh, I didn't know he was even into hunting. I mean, I, I, don't, know the, I don't know him personally. He but wasn't till he went through. Yours. The kid, he got the kids in that hunter safety class. <laughs> And great guy. Really? He took me out there, my me and my son, and fixed us lunch, and we saw all through his trophy room, and 
this is with him for quite a long time. Him and and uh, uh, Bob Gilbertson, he furnished ammunition when I had the gunshot shooting range. He furnished reloads to the shooting range. Mm. And uh, so they were out there. Bob was there too. Skip Gilbertson was the one that ran Diamond National Lumber Company. And when we built our church, we built it practically all from Diamond National. And Skip Gilbertson was the manager of that at the time. Of course, he's passed away. Bob's still living, but he's middle-aged man, a little over, getting a little over middle-aged. But great people. Mm. And when you see great people that get involved in the sport of hunting, it's good because they have a lot of influence. Mm-hmm. And Mike is a, a good man. Of course, his family's grown up. His, I think one of his girls is an attorney somewhere. And they're, they're kind of people that had good education, did things that a lot of people don't do. But uh, had a good visit with him. Mm. Where now? Where's that at? Where does he live? Do you know? Is it somewhere like around Delhi or something like around? Oh, there? out of Merced there. Oh, it is. And you know, he, that's. I was taken out there, so I don't remember. I wouldn't even be able to find his place. They yet. blindfolded you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. So he. So he just had a, just a massive room dedicated to to that He's hunting and all he, kinds of different he had animals elk and deer there. Okay, that's about all he had. Okay. He had monster elk he got from New Mexico, and then his deer were from the the strip, mm, Arizona uh, strip. Mm-hmm. Oh, he probably he probably bought the hunt, which if you put it in for draws, them you'll live a lifetime and never. But if you can buy a governor's tag, tag, then you get in there. And Mike probably, I didn't ask him, and he didn't tell me, but those deer don't come by easy. You can you take a buck that's thirty-two inches wide, with massive horns, ragged stuff all over. You don't find those behind every tree. They're kind of a special thing, and to get one, if you ever see one in your lifetime, you're going to be a fortunate person, mm-hmm. unless you hunt those places where you can't go without the right kind of tag. I mean, mm-hmm. no need you going because you couldn't shoot one if you saw it. No, not now. That being said. The difference between, I'm sure, now and what it used to be. I don't know why mine sounds kind of weird or something. Testing. <clears throat> well, um, I've seen old pictures. Like when you go in some of these old stores or markets up in the foothills, up at Sonora, Jamestown, over Mariposa, Oakhurst, you'll go in some of these little old shops and you'll see old pictures of these 30-plus-inch bucks just from Joe Blow. No no one special. Um did you ever grow? You had to. How many times did you see, or does a specific buck or a person stand out to you that shot a monster buck when you were a young person that wasn't, they didn't spend all this money and didn't have all these force? They just hunted and happened to get a 32 inch buck or Well, something. I've got a 32 inch set of horns now that's at Danny Herring's. I'm going to have it mounted on a whole. I don't have the cape from that buck, but I can get another cape mm-hmm. and I'm going to have it mounted whole. It's 32 inches. Clubby horn clear to the end. And he was killed. I was raised on Chachilla Mountain Road out of Mariposa. He was killed about three miles from where I was raised. And uh, a guy by the name of Ray Smithers, he's passed away now. And his son Cap ended up with it. And uh, there's a story there, a big story there. There, the, the dad of Ray Smithers was Tommy Smithers. And he homesteaded at the turn of the century. In fact, he, to homestead up there at the turn of the century, you didn't have any food unless you brought it with you. 
And so he brought a milk cow, chickens, and everything when he were homestead. And mm. he, he raised a garden. That's how they lived and back then because there wasn't no grocery store in every corner then. And Tommy Smithers, a lion, a, a, a grizzly bear, back about 1906, killed his milk cow. And so he had a 2535 long octagon barrel, 2535, a double set trigger pistol grip that he had bought back either just before the turn of the century or right after the turn of the century. And his son had it and his grandson had it. And his grandson also inherited that monster's deer head. Well, Cap had emphysema bad. He was a forestry guy, worked for the forest fire department for a long time. And I told him, Cap, I don't know what you're going to do with all that stuff, but then nobody would like to have that deer head and your dad's old rifle any more than I would. And if you ever saw to get rid of that and didn't have anybody else in your family that that went to, I'd like to have it. So he called me. He moved to Nevada because he had emphysema bad. And he moved to Nevada for good air. And he called me one day and said he's going to be at the old ranch that Saturday. If I was there, he'd have the gun and the deer head there. I bought the gun from him. I don't know what that gun's worth. But what I gave him for it probably wasn't worth what it would be worth. And it practically, it looks like almost out of the factory, brand new. Really? And he gave me that deer head. And where he got that, his dad up on Westfall Road and up on east on Westfall Road, a little ways and up on the, off the road about a half mile is where the ranch was. And he had a garden. And he woke up one morning early, and that buck was in his garden. And the buck heard him in the house, and the buck started leaving. And he shot that buck before he got out of the garden. And uh, he had it mounted. And I saw that because I drug another deer off the mountain down to his yard, and I knew who he was. And I called my dad from there. Dad was at my grandmother's house. Wait, and, you said you seen him drag the deer? Huh? No, or- I, I killed a deer and drug it down to his yard up oh. on the same mountain behind Okay, his house. Mm-hmm. I saw that head there. I said, where in the world did you get that deer head? It looked like something had to come from Montana, Wyoming, Nevada, Colorado, somewhere. He said, out of my garden. <clears throat> and uh, poorly mounted, very poorly mounted. And so I kind of kept track of that deer head all the years after that till uh-huh. finally his grandson ended up with it. And I have it now. But that was killed within three miles of where I lived. Wow. And it was... Is probably a mule deer, or at least, I don't know. It, it, I think it came probably from the other side of the mountains with the migration herd and ended up down here and found good feeding, so it stayed here. That's why I got it. Mm-hmm. So those deer do show up once in a while, but I've never seen one on, on hoof. I've never I've seen lots of bucks kill a lot of deer up in the Sierra Mountains there, but I've never seen a deer like that, a live deer with my eyes in my life, mm-hmm. anywhere, Colorado, Wyoming, Wyoming anywhere. And he just kills it out of his garden. Huh? And he just shoots it out of his garden. <laughs> yeah, right out of his garden. Got up uh-huh. early one morning, fixed him a cup of coffee. I get a pot of coffee. And he looked out the window, and that deer was in his garden right behind his house. So he just went and got his rifle, stepped out on the porch. And, of course, the deer had heard him and was getting out of there. And he shot him before he got out. Now, do you think he was excited as I would be if that was in my garden? I don't garden? think so. I don't think so. <laughs> Probably just another deer. I mean, just he another, knew it was big, but yeah. it didn't mean to him like what uh-huh. it mean to me probably. Uh-huh. Wow. Now, he didn't go hunting for it. He didn't go looking yeah. for it. Yeah. It was just there. Yeah. Wow. Huh. 
so many different things uh, on quail hunting. Like, wh- what was what was your favorite type of bird hunting? Well, I probably hunted more quail than anything else. I probably killed hundreds of quail because mm. it's raised right there. Quail all around my house, quail everywhere there, my grandmother's place, and every place. Is it valley quail or mountain quail? Valley quail. Valley well, quail. there are mountain quail there too. I okay. killed quite a few mountain quail, but more more <laughs> valley quail. What's the I, difference? The one is bigger than the other, right? Well, the, the valley quail is a little blue-like quail. It's got a little crooked top knot on top. The, the mountain quail's got a long, straight top knot on top of his mm. head, and he's got a purple throat, where the valley quail is a black throat. Mm. But one is bigger than the other one. Yeah, right? the mountain quail is the biggest. Yeah. Now, is that what you just hunted because it was readily available and you loved to hunt, or was that something you guys really enjoyed eating too? Eating, yeah. We, I would fill a little cooler tray under the. We had Surveil icebox because there's no electricity up there when I was a kid, so they had uh, propane, uh, fire at the bottom and an ice at the top. And right under the ice maker was this big tray, is a cool, what they call a cooler tray. It didn't freeze, but it stayed cold. And and by the time weekend come, I'd probably have 25 or 30 quail that I'd shot in that. And Dad came home on the weekend from plastering. Uh, we'd have a quail feast. And all during quail season, we had quail feast practically practically every weekend. Wow. Now, did your mom can yeah. those quail, too? No. Just the, the deer. Just the deer. And you guys, I don't know if you remember that. You remember their house where he grew up in? Up in Maryland? Uh-huh, yeah. Do you remember? Have there. you ever went in the cellar? Uh-huh, yeah. yeah. So tell them about that cellar, because that was a pretty neat story. Well, it was dug out of the side of the hill, and Dad totally concreted it. <clears throat> All the concrete around. So it was cool in there. In the hottest of summer, it was cool in there. Mm. And Mama would can probably three, 350 quarts of stuff for winter and deer included. In fact, you canned the deer meat. Then you had to call the game warden before season was over 10 days. And he'd come out and he put a seal across the top of the, the lid down mm-hmm. over the side mm-hmm. of the jar. And that seal was never broken. You couldn't fill it up with deer meat again because that could be considered illegal meat. He they, never came and checked us. Yeah, I was going to say They that. did that anyway. Huh. And so every jar was sealed. And I don't know how many quarts of deer meat. Dad usually get one deer, and I'd usually get one deer that Mom would can. And so however many quarts that would make. I guess it was pre-cooked. It was cooked at that point. It was, it was pressure cooked, yeah. Yeah, pressure cooked. And yeah. Put, put them in those quart jars. Mm-hmm. Mom put a layer of deer meat in. Cuds of garlic, uh, diced uh-huh. cuds of garlic, and then another layer of more diced. And she'd pressure cook them for, I think, 45 minutes to pressure cook her. They'd cook it real, just tender, it'd fall apart almost. It was so tender. And then the winter, that's what we, that's the meat we ate. Which huh. my mom used to yeah. do. Yeah. And uh, that I loved real going tender, in that, huh? Real tender. Yeah. I loved going in that, her canning room. Yeah. And, and she had, was it three walls? No, let's see. One, two, uh, two walls. That one big one when you first walk in on the left, that one be full. Was it more full when you were younger? Like, did she have more of it? Because I, when I was really that young, I, I remember every single shelf being full from mm-hmm. the floor to the ceiling. And she all had, from her own garden. Yep. In the Willamette Valley up in yeah, Oregon. Yeah. But they had two freezers, too. Yep. That was always full of stuff. One had cookies, chocolate chip cookies in it all the time. Well, in the back <laughs> of that cellar, the wall in the back, we made a big hole in it, Dad and I did. We are intense. We never finished it. I guess moved out before we did or something. Maybe we were going to dig back in that hill further and put a regular deep, uh, 
where you could hang oh, a beer. Oh, yeah, like a stand-up freezer. And deep freeze. make a regular freezing unit back there and put a big door on that big oh, cut yeah. where it hold cold in. Uh-huh. And we were going to make a <clears throat> deep freeze back in the mountain there, a big one, one you could walk in. Oh, that'd be awesome. But we never finished it. <laughs> that would be something nice to have for sure. Um, yeah, I'm just kind of curious how all that, like what, what kind of other things was she canning? That always interests me. I love that. Oh, she kid. canned a lot of green beans, mm-hmm. uh, Kentucky Wonder Bean, a lot of corn. What's that? What did you say? A Kentucky? Kentucky Wonder Bean. What's that? A green bean called Kentucky Wonder. Okay, that was the... the Label on the okay. seed pack you bought. Okay. And it wasn't the kind that you can only produce once. It was the old original kind. The ones you got now, you go buy seeds now, it'll produce the next season, but you can't produce seeds from that one. Mm. But those would. Yeah. What else? What other things did she can? So do you have trouble with deer coming in your garden? Yeah. Dad always tied a gar- dog down the garden. Oh, really? To get deer out. Oh, yeah, they'd come. Eat the tomato plants especially. I don't know why tomato plants are so good, but they'd eat those to me. And when your corn was first coming up, they'd eat that corn right mm-hmm. off the ground. So dad tied a dog down there, and they wouldn't come in near that dog there. <laughs> raccoons probably, too. Yeah, but the raccoons weren't too much bad of the garden. What they were bad on was grapes. Mm-hmm. Dad had a grape part with their Concord grapes. We made a lot of grape juice. Mom would make jelly out of that, and we'd, that was the juice we'd have with our meals, too. And then Mom made jelly. When we ran out of jelly, she'd make some grape jelly. Mom made grape jelly, gooseberry jelly, and uh, elderberry jelly. That's the jellies we had. Yeah, I like elderberry. Mm, elderberry is now they make a lot of supplements out of that. It's Do they? Good for your immune system. Yeah, elderberry is high in, what do they call it? Antioxidant. Antioxidant, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. And those just grew wild around there, right? Yeah, and I'll tell you another thing's high in that. When you go to Alaska, <clears throat> the blueberry, mm. those wild blueberries, mm-hmm. boy. Are they way better than something you would buy around here? Oh, they're better. Well, I don't know about I mean, could you make get, make yourself sick just eating them because you they're so good? Tell you what we did when, when I killed that doll sheep. Barney and I bought two uh, tin cups, a little bigger than this, and we bought little cans of canned cream, mm-hmm. the little cans, and bought packets of sugar. When we was up there sheep hunting, we would go pick those thing full of those blueberries, and put that packet of sugar in it, pour that cram cream. You talk about good. Treat. That is a treat right there. Oh Memories, my. huh? And that's high in antioxidant. And that's what that's when you get your bear hunting. I saw a 500-pound bear. I even went back the next year to try to get him, but I never saw him again. But he was there the year I got the sheep. So He's a you, black bear. So if, if they're young, they need to know about antioxidants. Yeah. Yeah. But that Those bear get out of those open ridges, and they're just chomping on that blueberry stuff. Oh, man. Barney told me about that. He said that was like the highlight of everything. Just eating I got that. I got moving pictures of that bear. Oh, you do? At the distance it was, you can still tell he's a monster bear. Wow. He's at least five hundred pounds. So when you when you went sheep hunting up there, you never had problems with grizzly at all because you're above where they're no, at. No, I no, I saw grizzly tracks, but we never saw one. Mm. Never. I I wouldn't go without a gun. Now Johnny walked all the way in there without a gun. I wouldn't done that. Not in grizzly country. <laughs> no, no way. No. But now, with my did rifle, you shoot I a grizzly? You've, huh? you've shot a grizzly, haven't you? Yeah. You want to tell us about that? That might, and then with that we could cut you guys loose because I know you got to go. Well, that was British Columbia. Okay. I was up there, uh, hunting in British Columbia for caribou, goats, and I, I knew he's in grizzly country, 
And I had a grizzly tag almost every time I went. Grizzly tag and wolf tag. But it just seemed like I never did see a grizzly. Other guys would get them, but I never saw one. They, what they do <clears throat> when you kill something and you leave the, leave the rest of the carcass there, the insides and all, grizzlies hit that and they cover it up and sleep on it. Those <laughs> other guys got them, but the ones I got never did produce a grizzly for me. But one year I was up there at another camp called Duty Camp, and way up on the mountain a guy had killed a, a caribou before I got there, and that bear was on that caribou. And so we went up there. It was a small grizzly, old grizzly, but he wasn't. He was one of those smaller ones. One just didn't get big. And I had my old dad's dad's old three forty eight. Dad wanted to shoot a grizzly with that three forty eight, and Dad got where he couldn't go. So I took his three forty eight. I said, well, "Dad, I'll try to get one with it." Well, I shot that grizzly with the three forty eight, and it hit him hard, but didn't drop him. I hit him in the vitals, but he was he was trying to get away. He was running, not fast, because he's pretty badly hurt. And the guide said, John, don't let him get in the timber. They hate to go in the timber after a wounded grizzly. Mm. I don't understand why. Yeah. And so he had my Weatherby. I had a 300 Weatherby then. I said, well, hand me my Weatherby. And he was a little out of the range of my 348 anyway. So I just put the scope behind his shoulder and shot him and dropped him right there. But I had that. <laughs> that's one of, the, one of the mounts that I gave to the Academy of Science in Fresno. Okay. How big was he? Three hundred fifty, four hundred pound bear. Oh, really? Those, I've seen some. They got up there that were like eight, nine hundred pound bear. Yeah, I was. Grizzly I bear. thought a grizzly would have been a lot bigger than three, four. Well, mine was just one of those little ones. Uh-huh. He's an old bear, but he didn't ever grew to be very big. Uh-huh. Boar bear, but just didn't get big. So there's a, but there's a difference between a grizzly, or Alaskan and a grizzly bear is the same thing, right? Alaska brown bear is just a grizzly bear, but he's fed on salmon. And mm-hmm. the row out of salmon so much over the generations, they just produce such a big bear. Mm. See, those Alaskan brown bears can get up to 1,500 pounds. That's big. That's and you, you haven't hunted one after one of those? No, I want to. <clears throat> I'd like to go this year, but I don't I don't see. I can't, I don't think I can. If, it's, it's tough hunting, A huh? boat would have to come in before I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> now, is that what Brother Beckett killed? Mm-hmm. He got one of those big ones. Yeah. Then. How big was his? You remember? His wasn't a fifteen hundred pound bear, but probably eight or nine hundred pound bear. Oh. And Johnny was with him on that, wasn't he? Yeah, Johnny was his guy. Yeah. Wow. So if you had last question here I got. If you had the option say say you were gonna watch a fight between two animals, you had an African lion and you had a grizzly bear, who do you think would win? Oh my, the bear just the lion wouldn't even get a, have he, a chance. He wouldn't even have a chance. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Mm. No a lion is powerful his jaws, powerful his claws, but a, biz- a grizzly bear could just whack him once. They're solid muscle. Oh is, my! He'd so... he'd break a lion's back so quick it wouldn't well. be a fight. So he's only king of Africa. He's not king right. of the world. Uh-huh. Huh? <laughs> There's so, probably nothing any stronger than a bear. Really? There's nothing. They have no enemies. What's going to be an enemy to Alaska brown bear? Nothing. Nothing. There's no animal going to try to attack them. You. Man with a gun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. I seen a I seen a video on YouTube of two uh, boars, Alaskan grizzly boars fighting. It is something I can't imagine being in person videoing that or wa- feeling the ground shake. They were hitting this tree. They were fight. They were going around this tree. One was they were both standing up, and they had their their claws and paws on the tree, and they were kind of the one was trying to stay away from them. And when they finally tangled, it was unreal. I, I mean, 
you could almost feel it watching the video, just like the sheer power, like you said. The way they would hit each other and latch on and hair would be flying everywhere. It was it, something. It, if you get old Alaska brown bear, it's nothing uncommon. The part of his mere ears gone and scars all over his face. That's from fights. They fight all the time, huh? Yeah. And that's what's crazy about California. You know, I grew up in Oregon. You would never think California would have all these animals. But they had grizzly bear. They had in, in, the, in the San Joaquin Valley, right? Grizzly yeah, bear, they two, were, tuli elk. They were big, too. The grizzly in San Joaquin Valley were big. Because they, they were eating, eating the huh? salmon that came up the stream. Mm. See, before the dams were built, grizzlies were run San Joaquin, Mercy, or salmon. San Joaquin, think about that. That's, yeah. that's just like right where we live. It's hard to that, fathom that. When when my father-in-law, Charlie Arms, first came out here to Dos Palace, he went to work for farm. And they had canals, and then they had ditches up to their crops out of those canals. And whenever they got salmon hungry, he'd take a pitchfork and go down to one of those canals and pitchfork a big salmon. In the canal? Yeah, in San Joaquin River. Yeah. Oh, okay. Before yeah. they built that Millerton Dam. Yep. And salmon ran all the way up that river. He said... He told me they'd find get a salmon maybe it was three or four feet long <laughs> with a pitchfork. They'd come up, they'd actually come up that river and then go up those irrigation ditches mm. where there's it was real shallow. Yeah. Now those were probably they probably weren't were they the the concrete ditches or were they the dirt oh, ones? Dirt ditches. The dirt ditches. Okay. Out of the concrete canal. And that wasn't no challenge at all to stick one of those with the pitchfork. No. In. They had salmon all the time. Wow. <laughs> then when they built that dam at Millerton, I was probably seven years old when they built that dam eight maybe that's kind of what they did they built that dam that dried up the San Joaquin River they couldn't have salmon run anymore they talked the fish and game department talked several times about putting a a, a concrete ditch in that river and making them let enough water out to keep that ditch alive where salmon would come up but they never did it so there's no salmon run the San Joaquin anymore there's a little bit of salmon run the Merced River mm-hmm. yeah I've seen them in fact, I had a guy bring a salmon to me, pretty good size, two and a half, three feet, out of Bear Creek. That just don't make that just blows my mind because the the way cons, the way people are and all this fishing game are about preserve preserving and all this stuff. How do they just how did they just let that stuff go? I don't know. I don't know. Some way, I guess when the government puts their money in things, it's so overpowering. Anything a, a fish and game department could do to match it, that they just back up and let them go. I guess like the pheasants. You, you used to have you used to buy your tags to get a pheasant. They had ten tags on one, one bunch of tags, and you could kill two pheasants a day. Once those ten was gone, I think you could go get another ten tag, but you had to pay for it. And if they'd have caught you killing over your limit of, of pheasants, they'd fine you. They'd give you all kinds of trouble. But still, they can come along and ruin the whole thing. No tags, no pheasants anymore. There's nothing done. So I guess government money is just so powerful that state fish and game department can't compete with the government, I guess. Mm-hmm. It makes you wonder if it wasn't because somewhere in the planning or the powers that be, the San Joaquin Valley was going to be the breadbasket of the world. Yeah. And they knew that wasn't going to work, to, you know, having that to provide for people with all those kinds mm-hmm. of animals, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? I mean, yeah. tule elk, tule elk were down here too, right? Oh, there were hundreds, thousands of them in the valley. Is at that one right? Time, tule elk. Wow. What year do you think that came to a close? Beginning of the 19th Probably century? Probably in the beginning of the 19th century, yeah. Mm. 
See, and the grizzlies were thick there too. They fed off those tule elk, and they fed off those Same. salmon runs, and they were a lot of grizzlies. In fact, I read one time where one big rancher came from over in the coastal area and brought his cattle, his curds over here in the valley, and those grizzlies didn't know that from an elk, so they started killing his cattle. And I read one article where I think a crew, his crew of horseback riders, braceros, whatever they were, I think killed as high as 16 grizzlies in one day. Whoa. They were trying to get his cattle. My goodness. They were thick. Holy moly. And they were a big bear. They were a, they were not the grizzly, the mountain grizzly type. Close they to were the Alaskan. Yeah, close to My that. My goodness. So, so back then, before w- this whole country was settled then, you knew several, you were raised up in the mountains, but then you moved down here, but... There, these, there was a. You knew a lot of the Indian tribes or people in the Indian tribes. So, what was the Indian tribes that were in this country? Well, the Indians over in the in the uh, western part of our country, around Bootjack and Mariposa, were called Miwoks. Mm-hmm. Then the ones over on the other side, toward Oakhurst, were called Chichenzis. And then the ones that were came from Mono Lake area and migrated, that's where the obsidian came from. They were called Monos. And then there was a tribe of Indians in the valley, Yosemite Valley, they were called the Yosemite Indians. <laughs> the old Chief Leamy that built that teepee on my dad's place, uh, he was Yosemite Indian. <laughs> he he was born on one of the YV Railroad camp spots on the river when the train was going up the the Merced River. And he's, he was the man that owned, that worked on the railroad and they had the house there. His name was Chris Brown. So this Indian woman was expecting this baby and this mother, this wife of this home knew her, knew who she was. And she invited her to come and stay and she'd be the midwife when the baby's born. Mm-hmm. When he's born, they named him Chris Brown after the guy that owned that. But when he became an Indian chief, his chief, his name then was Leamy, Chief mm-hmm. Leamy, L-E-E-M-E-E. <clears throat> and he actually came built that teepee on my dad's place for my dad. He stayed all night with us, and he knew me, he knew my dad, he knew all of us. And he'd at 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 parades in Merced and at fair at Mariposa, he'd have a flatbed truck somewhere at the parade in Merced and outside the fairgrounds there in Mariposa. And he had his full headdress on. Mm. He had two gorge in his hand. He'd get out there and do the Indian dance. Go, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> And I'd walk up, and he'd get, when he'd get through, he'd come over and talk to me. Hmm. Super good guy. I got pictures of him building that teepee on my dad's place. Really? Wow. He's not and old. how old was he then at that time? Oh, probably in his 50s. Hmm. So he's probably got family that are still alive somewhere. No, I don't think he ever had a family. He had a, a nephew in some way. I may get this a little off. I think his this nephew and another friend were target practicing, and the nephew mistakenly accidentally shot the other kid. The other kid ran in front of him or something. It, it was it wasn't murder. It was an accidental thing. Mm. But that so got that kid that he kind of left here, and I don't know if there's any offspring of his relatives left at all or not anyway. Chief Leamy, I don't remember when he died, but he died when I was uh, probably in my early 20s. Mm. 
but he was just a a very colorful man. That everybody knew him. Chief Leamy was a household name up there where I was raised. Mm. Well, what's funny too is because when we moved along, it was uh, Miles Creek, Miles Creek, mm-hmm. and uh, I know that a lot of those that water system is uh, uh, controlled. Probably water gone through it, but. That was actually we built in a flood zone mm-hmm. because that country used to flood a lot. Now it's obviously all agriculture, but I actually found obsidian knife. Did you? Yeah. Do you have it? Uh, yeah, somewhere. Mm. But uh, so what What group of Indians would have that been? Where was that now? Miles Creek? Yeah, Miles Creek. Probably either the Monos, I mean the, the Mo, uh, Yokuts that were down here in the valley or the Chickasanzies. And, or the Mono uh, Miwoks. These were the Yokuts. In this part of the Sierras right up here was the was the, uh, Miwok Indians. And then over on the other side was the Chickasanzies. So it wouldn't have been the Chickasanzies. It would have been the Miwoks. So with these, with these group of Indians, were they any kind of, uh, <coughs> were they fighters or not? No, Warring? there was a tribe called the Chachillas. They were on the Chachilla River in the Madeira County. They were warlike, but they were warlike enough, even with their own other Indian counterparts, that it wasn't long till they disappeared. You can't be warlike and last. It'll back before there's doctors and hospitals. You get shot anywhere, wounded. You're gonna die from the wound if they don't kill you right there. And I don't know what happened to Chachillas. I don't think they Chachillas left. Now, there's a lot of Miwoks and a lot of Chickasaw still left. Probably some Monos up in the Mono area, mm. lake area. I don't know if there's any Yosemites, but what it is, they were all the same Indians, and they intermixed so much. When the Monos came down, they'd mix with the, the Miwoks and the Chickasaws, and the Chickasaws mixed with the, you know, if a Chickasaw girl fell in love with a Mono guy, what are they going to call their kids? Chickamonos or something? <laughs> <laughs> they, they mixed. And the same with the Yokut down mm. here. They mixed with the foothill indians too so they were all the same bunch they just some rancherias where they live there's a rancheria on my dad's place and the old george washington his name would got john Cauchetti. he he lived to be 103 years old he was about a 10 year old kid when they built the mariposa county courthouse he used to, all of us knew him all the whole families knew him george and jenny in fact they had two daughters uh prosy and emma Daddy and Mama went to school with Prosy, little Chachilla went to school. So Daddy and Mama knew Prosy just like neighbor kid. And old George Washington, the old Indian, we'd go over and talk to him. In fact, Dad and I have ate acorn meal mush with them right there in their house that they processed out in the rocks, out where they have the grind holes, mm. and they bring it in and and purify it, get the tannic acid out, bitter out of their wicker baskets, and. We went in there one day, and they fixed a big bowl of acorn meal mush for Daddy and one for me, and it was good. Mm. Nothing wrong with it to me. <laughs> you know what boggles my mind still? I'm still kind of backtracking a little bit is the fact you said that guy killed 16 or 18 grizzlies. His, his cow hands. His did. cow hand in one day. I'm thinking, how are these Yucatan? Yucatan? The Indian tribe? Which one was that you said? Well, the Yucatan. The Yokuts were in the valley. Oh, Yokuts. How in the world did they sleep at night? I mean, if there's that, that's infestation beyond that. I mean, I would have a hard time sleeping at night. Well, probably there was enough elk and everything else in the valley that those bear were, or must, 
salmon runs up the streams that they they wouldn't bother people. So. I would doubt there was some kind of problems, but of course that's back for any news or anything like that. So mm. there there might have been Indians that were killed by those grizzlies, but you don't know about it. Yeah, there's no way. It's no record of it, huh? Uh-uh. Huh? Well, man, this has been awesome. Uh, if you if you have time, you'll have to come over again because I guarantee there's a lot of more questions we could ask you. But for time's sake and your guys' schedule, we're gonna go ahead and end this. So thanks, brother Hilton, for you're sure welcome. I I've enjoyed it. I hear. I love hearing the the history. You know, the, let me tell you something before you close off. The reason I do have the information I have, when I was a kid, there was no such thing as these, no such thing as Nintendo games, no electronics whatsoever. So really. All I could do for entertainment was sit around and listen to old people talk. And what I know, the way I learned it, young people nowadays wouldn't take time for that because they have too much other things going mm -hmm. on. But I didn't. So when you take old people like I, people have been dead for many years. I sit and listen to them talk, and I didn't have anything else to do. If they came around, I just sat there. I didn't. I was too much of a kid to butt in because I didn't know what they are talking about except what they were talking about. And I'd sit there and listen to them. That's how I knew all those landmark places up in the mountains. That's how I knew there was Chickchansies. That's how I knew there was Monos. That's how I knew there was Yokuts in the valley. That's how I knew there was Miwoks in the, uh, the western part of the Sierras. The Monos. You see, I knew that because I heard people talk. Mm -hmm. and then I went to school with those Indians. And the Indian kids I went to school with, their grandpas and grandmas was old people. We'd go to our little school get-togethers, and those old people would be there. I'd listen to him talk. John Leonard was one of the old Leonard's that was in the years and years. Tom Leonard was another one. Tom Leonard's dad was working. He was a redhead Irishman, and he came over there and married an Indian woman. He married a, I think she's a Harlow, Harlow or Leonard, and he married her. Of course, that put him, his son was Tom that I knew. Mm -hmm. I used to take Daddy over and visit with him, him and Evelyn, his wife. We'd go over and visit with him. Tom actually had the 38 caliber gun that the the government issued him to be a bodyguard for Teddy Roosevelt when he went through Yosemite Park. He gave that gun somewhere in the park. They've got it because he donated that to the park. Wow. And that was his revolver that was donated to him to be a guard as Teddy Roosevelt went through the park. Wow. And when you, a kid, and grow up around that, you just know things kids can't know yeah. no anymore because they aren't where it's talked. In fact, it's not talked anymore. Back then, I had so so little to entertain me that I just they, that's what entertained me. That's right. why I knew that. Right. Well, what's so incredible about you too? Seriously, I mean, my mom was eighty eight when she passed away. My dad was ninety one. But your memory at eighty eight years mm -hmm. old is not normal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, remembering names and oh yeah, times names and, and oh, I mean, just unreal. And so it's like this wealth of information. I mean, you could just listen. But what's good though, and like you said, I. I know exactly what you're talking about. Too many people are on their phones and they ain't listening to each other. But the good thing is that having something like this is recorded. Is it something we can go back to yeah. and something we can remember and, and at least keep some of those things alive? You can't even talk about things kids, when I was a kid, would want to hear said. You can't talk to them. They're just sitting mm -hmm. doing this. They don't hear what you're saying. No, they don't so care. therefore, when they get older, they don't know what they could have known if they hadn't had this. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have it. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have anything to entertain me but listen to old people talk. Mm -hmm. I heard people, like old George Washington, he was 10 years old. He figured he's about 10 years old because he didn't know when he was born. 
when they built the Mariposa County Courthouse. I think that was 1885. So 1885, 1875. So I listened to him talk. When I hear him talk, I learned things went back clear back to 1875. My great-grandfather Blake was born in Wichita, Kansas. He was a big kid when Custer was killed. I've heard him talk about it. He's he born 1860. So I learned, I could tell you things clear back to 1860, long time before I was born. But I, I heard him talk. Mm. So therefore, Grandma, his wife, was born in 1863. She's gored by a buffalo. I heard the story. Dad had a buffalo horn. I think Mary's got it. That Grandpa Blakeman dug up out, out of a buffalo wallow in Wichita, Kansas. And Dad made a horn you could blow. Make a, make, it's not like a cow horn. But he's got that horn, that buffalo horn. Mm. Well, I was privy to all that stuff because they didn't have anything else mm-hmm. to entertain me but that. So I saw all that, learned all that. Those years, like 1860 was Grandpa's birthday. 1863 was Grandma's birthday. Great-grandparents. My grandpa was born 18, uh, 1885, 1895. 1885, grandma born 1890. My dad born 1989. And maybe this is the end, but because uh, I do have to go. But you were five or six years old when we started to go in church there, probably. Mm-hmm. And you were probably five, six, or seven when me and you and Brother Hilton went on <laughs> that first hunt up near Rifle, Colorado. He brings that up all the time. Do you yeah. remember that? When your yeah. dad slept on the side of the mountain? <laughs> yeah. So we got some history. Oh, man. It's, we, it's amazing, honestly. If you're available sometime, we got to do this again and talk about some of that Colorado stuff and all, all those That's memories. That's your dad stay all night up on the side of the mountain? Yep. <laughs> David and I watched him up there. We were hoping he could get down. He, he had a light, and he kept shining around. Finally, he said, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> he was way up on that thing. And you were, what, six years old? Probably. Seven. Yeah. So you went and stayed all night. We went to the motel, and you stayed all night with us. Next morning, we got up real early and got something for him to eat, and we ate. A bologna sandwich, and honestly, I was so dehydrated because I sweated so much trying to get out of there, and it was so steep. First time I've ever been in there. So that's what happened. I started that fire, and I remember, if I'd have known it, I could have killed some, I could have shot some audads because the next morning when I got up and just kind of went around the corner where I was at on that bluff, there was a whole group of them. Yeah. All dads over there. That's, I, I, next year, I got one of them. When I found yeah, out the game was they're getting rid of them. Mm. I shot one. Yeah. Danny's going to mount a hole for me. <clears throat> oh, really? I guess he is. He got the hiding horns anyway. Huh. Yeah. Wow. yeah, some really great memories. Crazy memories. All right, guys. Hope you enjoy this. Don't forget to rate and review it. And if I could say anything to the younger generation, please listen to the old folks talk. Turn your phone off, set it down, listen to old people talk. You'll know a lot more than what you would know if you don't when you get older. Yep. yep. Thank you for that. I agree. I'm not going to add to that. We'll see you guys in the next one. We're excited.